Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. So this is Jesus. Some of his final words that he spoke to his disciples the, the night before, or the night that he was arrested, the night before he was crucified. He prays this really long prayer in a few chapters of the Gospel of John at his Last Supper with his disciples. And this is part of the prayer that he's praying. So this is Jesus, God's Son, speaking to God the Father. And he's saying, while I was with them, while I was with my, 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 my disciples, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the Son of Destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled, because the Bible talked about how even Judas would fall away from Jesus. So that's what he's talking about there. But then Jesus prays to his father, now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they, my disciples, might have joy, might have my joy fulfilled in them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." So, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. It's the evil one. Poor Benjamin. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. John 17, 12 through 19. Father God, thank you for your word. Pray that you would teach us and guide us as we dwell with you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We had a little bit of a family reunion this week. I have a huge family. One of my regrets about my grandparents before they passed away is I really didn't get to know them one-on-one because there were just always tons and tons of people around and until so looking back, that's a regret. But it was, it was such a joy to have a huge family. One of the most overwhelming things that happens in my family, though, is when someone new joins that family. And so part of this family reunion was getting to meet a fiancé of one of my cousins. We were out at my parents' house uh, this past Monday, and as my cousin and her fiancé get married, they're talking about going to Australia for their honeymoon. I've been to Australia. And so he came and sat next to me and was like, hey, I'd love to hear about Australia. Now, again, I feel bad for this poor guy. Uh, again, my dad had seven siblings. So between cousins and cousin spouses, I have 42 cousins on my, on my dad's side. A lot of them were gathered this week, and, were, and this guy was meeting them for the first time. You can imagine how overwhelming that might be. Um, a lot of us got called the wrong names. We're all very offended, um, <laughs> except that it's happened literally every time Someone's joined the family. Jess can attest to that. Overwhelming? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> We're not a quiet people either. So there's, that, there's the, the number, the noise, and then I felt like I just completely overwhelmed this guy because when he asked me, like, hey, what, what do you love about Australia? I just, I just started gushing. And so like to the point where like, I was so excited about this potential trip that he's going to go on. He started to pull out his phone and take notes and be like, hey, can you repeat that? Can you basically, hey, slow down, you crazy man, is what he was telling me. I, I, I can't even like, keep up with you know, my thumbs or t- on fire. I feel like I was more excited than he was about his Australia trip. Why? 
because I had experienced that. And it's a unique thing. Not a lot of people ha have the opportunity to experience such a thing. And so the fact that, that he was wanting to experience something I had felt like really good news to me. It felt like a, a, a cool opportunity. Justin, I've been there. It, it is something that, that, a place that we love. There's some people that we have really, really strong affection for. It's a super unique thing, and it was really impacting for us. And, and so we just started to, to talk and relive kind of this thing that, that was really exciting to me. Have you ever had a situation like that or a thing like that that, that feels so exciting, so unique, that, that when someone mentions it, you just want to gush about it? Anything come to mind? Any people come to mind? Like, I have a few others. Enchiladas Olay, man, I'll talk to you all day about it. My kids, maybe in that order, but, but I'll talk to them about it as well. Like, we all have those things. And my point is that there's things that we all feel like we get to discuss. Is that fair? Like, there's things we get to talk about, things that excite us, things that just kind of we can't stop talking about. But then there's also the second category. There's things we have to discuss. You have things like that? There's things like family budgets. It's like, this isn't going to be super exciting, but it's necessary to discuss. Conflict. Some of you may love delving into conflict. Most people don't. It's good, though, to do so, and so it's a, it's a have-to kind of discussion. Is that fair? There's things we get to discuss, things we have to discuss. And a lot of times when we think about Jesus, and a lot of times when we think about spiritual things, which category do they fall into? We're in church, so there's an obvious right answer here, but I don't think the obvious right answer is the one that comes to mind for most of us. Like Jesus and spirituality and, and faith, a lot of times for many folks, it feels like it slips into the have-to category. Is that fair? You don't have to raise your hand, but is that fair for you? Like we're Christians, we're supposed to talk about Jesus. But Jesus and discipleship and things of faith, they're not often or always for many people in the get-to category. And so maybe you've felt this tension, even. maybe you've even felt like some guilt or shame around this. For folks who are here or in your life who are not followers of Jesus, here's something that is true for everyone. We're all seeking some form of good news, aren't we? Like, we're all looking for hope in something. We're all looking for joy in something. We're all looking for something to satisfy us. And, and frankly, like, there's varieties of good news all around us. There's things that will make you momentarily happy. There's things that will feel like they satisfy. There's tons of people and things asking, hey, put your hope in me, put your hope in me, put your hope in me. What's the problem with most of them? They're fleeting. They're fading. Anyone who's put their hope in anyone else knows the reality of like, oh man, you're not as great as I thought you were. And so at best, like a lot of the other things that say, hey, I'll, I'll offer you good news, at best are kind of lowercase g good news. Like there'll be good news for a little bit. Let's not deny that, but, but they're false and fading. And so everyone is on this quest for some ultimate capital G, good news. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe, at least in your head, or you know you're supposed to believe, even if it's hard sometimes, you, you at least on paper believe that Jesus is that capital G, good news. Fair? But, but if something is really actually good news to you, don't we love to talk about it? 
Like that's the kind of stuff that gets us excited to talk about, are things that are, are really life-changing, things that are really, really stirring, things that sound like really good news. Those, those are the, the things that move us from the have-to conversation to the get-to conversation. And so we say that Jesus is good news, but why is it hard to talk about? Anyone feel that tension? Not the only one who feels the tension? So, so we spent August, if you were walking with us through, through last month, just talking as a church family about how the gospel is not just a past and future reality, but also impacts our present life. And so I just want to continue that conversation. We're just going to continue that conversation this fall. I want to, want to ask you an honest conversation, honest question. Do, do, you, do you really believe the gospel is good news? Don't answer out loud. Just a quick gut check, though. Do you really believe it's good news? And if you say no to that, okay, thanks for your honesty. If you say yes to that, then, then a follow-up question, do you really see, and not just in some like mental checkbox, I know I'm supposed to believe it with my mind, but like head, heart, hands, kind of an all of life see, do you really believe God is living and active and matters today, not just in the future? Do you really believe, head, heart, hands, that, that the Spirit is accessible and invites you into a better story that gets played out in everyday conversations and situations? Do you really believe, head, heart, hands, that Jesus offers good news for every aspect of your everyday life? Do you believe that? And if you say yes, or probably like many of us, if you say sometimes, is that fair? Maybe we always believe it in our heads, but, but do we really live as if that's true? The answer for all of us, I think, would probably be sometimes. If Jesus really is good news, then, then what is it that keeps, keeps us from talking about him? Either in our own thought life, prayer life, or in our households, or with other believers, or, or, or especially with, with non-believers. Because there's this second area of tension the first is, if I believe Jesus is good news, what, what keeps me from talking about him? There's the second area of tension. Even if you believe Jesus is good news, isn't it true that it sometimes feels really awkward to talk about Jesus, especially if someone might not see him as good news? Is that fair? There's this tension in us, and there's this tension that we project on others. Do you feel that toward others? Many, so many folks have been burned by the church and, and kind of attribute that, attributed that to, to being angry at God. That's, that's very real. Some of our friends, family members, neighbors are of, of other religions or philosophies. Still others are skeptics or just purely apathetic. And, and on and on and on. And again, like, that's just real facts about where different people are in their posture toward God. Every person on earth. Every person that we encounter has some different story, different need, different question they're asking, different struggle. And so it can be paralyzing to ask how Jesus sounds like good news to so many different situations. Fair? I'm just trying to, to call out a, a scenario that I think is true of many followers of Jesus, but also maybe one that we don't feel like we're allowed to talk about out loud sometimes. Because again, if you believe Jesus is good news, then of course I want to talk about him, except that we don't always. So I'm just trying to, to draw out something that I think is real for many of us. And so the common, common answer 
to, to, to feeling awkward about talking about Jesus, the, the common answer to that from churches is, well, let's start some, some evangelistic programs. Here, go memorize these four verses and then share them, but don't get them out of order because if you do, then you'll leave someone like dead in their sin and trespasses. So you don't want to end wrong. And so we can play these mental games and feel really a lot of pressure. And so we convince ourselves, well, maybe it's just better that I don't. True for anyone? Again, don't have to raise your hand. Or maybe we'll give tracts out. Anyone ever done this? Because like, who actually needs $100 if you can get a fake $100 that'll tell you that you don't have to go to hell one day? That makes you feel really good if you just took care of a party of eight. Billboards? Be really curious if anyone's ever been saved by a billboard. But God works through everything, so maybe. Or maybe it's just a common thing like, well, it's awkward for me to talk about something, so I'll just bring someone to, to church. This true for anyone? This, this whole kind of scenario that I'm painting, do you, do you feel this? Do you, does this define kind of some of the tensions and some of the answers that you've been given? Here's, here's the reality. Jesus calls all of his people, charges all of his disciples, empowers and invites all of his followers to go and make disciples. In Acts 1, he, his command, his, his last command as he's ascending back to the Father is to be his witnesses. The point is that news, good news, is words. Good news are words. I don't know the right grammar there. Good news is words. We're going to go with that. Words must be spoken, declared, proclaimed. Don't get hung up on the grammar. We're moving on from that. Good news must be spoken or declared or proclaimed, and not just by the quote-unquote professionals. It's not just the folks who have been to Bible college and seminary that are qualified to, to say the name of Jesus out loud. Like, it's, it's all of God's people. It's all of Jesus's followers. There's a passage in Romans 10 that that captures this tension. This is Romans 10, starting in verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that good news? That's good news. And yet, the next verses kind of bring out some tension here. How will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to, to believe in him if they haven't heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are, what's the word? Sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, when we, when we hear that word preaching, what do you picture? You picture this thing we're doing right now. There's two things I'm going to tell you about the Bible that we get wrong a lot. The first is this. In the Bible, the word preaching is never used of a church gathering together. The Bible calls this teaching is what we'd be doing. We're, we're teaching, equipping, this kind of stuff. Preaching in the Bible is always out in the public proclaiming the good news of Jesus, whether like soapbox style or just in an everyday conversation. So whenever you read the word preaching, it's an out there kind of thing. Does that change your view of this verse? Who, who, who is the one, who are the ones who are thus called to be preaching? It's the same ones who are sent, which is to say, congratulations, you have a new job. Not a new job. A, a promotion, yeah. <laughs> but it's one that's been true of all of us since Jesus' resurrection and the empowerment of the Spirit. 
So part of God's design for all of us is to be a sent people. Part of God's empowerment through the Spirit for all of us is to help us winsomely speak the good news of Jesus in our everyday lives, in our everyday relationships. But often when the church talks about this, missionary identity, evangelism, it becomes this empty duty. Even the joke about like, hey, you have a new job to do. It can feel like, oh, man, I'm already super busy. This is super weird. I don't know if I'm qualified if this is, right? It can feel like an empty duty if that's where the conversation stays. And so all we do traditionally is invite you into have-to conversations. Well, you're a Christian. You have to go talk about Jesus. And then we do, frankly, we, the church, does very little to like actually equip you to do that. So it's really unfair to you. But before anyone is willing, before any of us can rightly be excited about sharing the good news, we have to take this step back again. Because again, if you're going to be excited to share the good news, then what must first be true of you if it's not going to be some empty duty? It's that we get to and must believe that Jesus is actually good news for us first. Because even Jesus says in Luke 6 at the bottom of the screen, it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. That's, that's the overflow. That's the, that's the get-to conversations, right? If there's something that stirs your heart, it's the things you're excited about. It's the things you want to post about and let friends know about, this kind of stuff. What, what is, it's the stuff that's in you that just gushes out of you. Is that fair? So, so bottom line, I think this tension can kind of be summarized by seeing yourself at one or more points of, of this triangle. It's not, nothing magical about this. I'm just, I think, visually, so it can be helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. First point of the triangle, everyone on earth is seeking some ultimate form of good news, true? Which means you are seeking some form of ultimate good news, but maybe you haven't found it yet. For our non-believing friends, families, neighbors, they also are seeking some form of good news and haven't found it yet. Every human on earth is. Second point, bottom uh, left, some of us struggle to see Jesus as truly life-impacting good news for ourselves. Fair? Or maybe we see it in some elements of life, don't see it in others. And, and or third, we don't know how to talk about Jesus' good news, either with other followers of Jesus or maybe especially with our non-believing friends, neighbors, family members. Is that true for you? Do you see yourself on one, one point or all points or somewhere between the points of the triangles? And so we're in this uncomfortable tension. And again, it feels sometimes like you're not allowed to talk about this. But instead, we want to invite you in and talk about this for the entire fall together and engage this tension and see if maybe we can find some answers together. That's what we're doing this fall. Excited? <laughs> Who doesn't love to live in tension? So on a pause before we go back to John 17, any, any thoughts, questions, anything unclear? Pushback, rebuke. Just take a second. You don't have to say it out loud. Where would you put yourself on this triangle? Are you dead in the center where you feel all of it? Are you on one side or are you on one point? Where do you see yourself? 
So this fall, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the book of John, okay? We're going to walk through the book of John on Sundays, and in most of our DNA conversations, whether it's every week, we're going to meet with DNA leaders after today to kind of work this out for, for different groups, but, but a lot of our DNA conversations throughout the fall are going to center on these conversations that we see Jesus have in the Gospel of John. So, so hopefully everyone, as you walked in, got a, got a copy of this book that some of us put together, and it has, if you haven't looked through it yet, it has a little bit of a summary of different aspects of the Gospel of John, some reflection questions that you'll walk through each week, and it can be a a, a conversation guide for your DNA each week. Here's our heart, is that we really want to be equipped to be what God calls us, which is a good news people. We're a people that actually has the good news of Jesus. What do we do with that? And so there's these books. Every week there'll be a kid's sheet, both with some coloring, and then on the back there's some kid versions of the grown-up questions, so you can engage those as a household or some DNAs or or whatever fits you. Um, And there's some personal reflection questions for grown-ups and kids, some discussion to have at home and in your DNAs, because here's here's why we're doing what we're doing. As we walk through the Gospel of John, we're not going to go exactly verse by verse through it, but rather we're going to see many different scenarios in which Jesus speaks the good news of himself, but in different ways to different people. Do you ever know that Jesus does that? Like, of course, if we read through the New Testament, and for us, like, maybe that's common to be like, oh, yeah, this is Peter preaching on something. But, but man, when Peter or Paul talked to, to folks from a Jewish heritage, they used completely different language and imagery and starting points and this kind of stuff than when they're talking to Gentile or, this is not a bad word in that time, pagan people. Pagan was just the Roman religion. And so they would use different starting points. One, they'd use the Hebrew scriptures. One, they'd use just general natural creation or the pantheon of gods versus talking about the one true God of, of Israel. Jesus does the same thing. He has so many different conversations, and in them he shows himself to be joy to the joyless and companionship to the lonely and, and truth for the skeptic and the answer for the seeker and freedom for those who are trapped in religion and, and comfort for those who feel ashamed and grieving rest for the weary, justice for the oppressed, and the oppressor, a freedom from pain for the hurting, foundness for the lost, and so much more. Jesus shows himself to be good news to so many different people. Do any of those words describe your friends, neighbors, family members, joyless, hurting, ashamed? Do any of those words describe you? Jesus offers good news, capital G, lasting good news, not just on some general sense, but to every question, every need, every area of brokenness. And then, after showing himself to be truly life-changing good news throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus prays what I think is one of the weirdest prayers in the Bible. And this is what we read a little bit ago. This is from John 17, starting in verse 12. He says, I'm coming to you, Father, but I pray that you don't do what? Don't take my people out of the world. Don't take my... I'm coming home. Don't pull them out. And if you've been around some church circles, then you know people are like, hey, once I'm saved, why don't we just jet off somewhere? As if that's how it works anyway, right? Like, why are we in this broken place? Here's why we're in this broken place. We have good news. 
that our friends and neighbors and family members need. And we have areas of life that we don't believe the good news yet, and so we get to receive and depend on God while we stay here. Again, here's what you need to get. This is Jesus' final prayer with his disciples, final out loud kind of in a group kind of prayer, either during or after his last supper. His, his next move is to go commune with his father in the garden of Gethsemane and then be arrested. The next day, Jesus is going to die, and three days later, he's going to rise again. This full prayer, if you want to read it, is, is, is about three chapters in the Gospel of John, but we're just zooming in on these eight verses and, and here's a summary of what Jesus prays. I'm going to highlight a few things for you because we're not looking at every single part of this prayer. Here's what Jesus prays. Father, I came into the world because you sent me. While I was in human form, this kind of summary of what he's praying, I drew folks to you. I gave them your word. Now again, here's the other word that I want to reframe for you. So preaching isn't what we're doing today. Preaching is public proclamation. Most of the time when the Bible uses word, what's it talking about? I gave them your word. What do you assume when you hear the word of God? The Bible. Bible. Turns out that it wasn't written when they were saying the word word in the Bible. Most of the time when you see the word word, this is confusing, I admit. Most of the time in the Bible when you see the word word, it's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about the gospel or the incarnate word, which is Jesus, which is, again, the gospel. So so what Jesus is saying is, while I was walking with them, I gave them your good news. For three years, I brought people to you by showing them how good your gospel is, how life-changing your gospel is. So in other words, for three years, Jesus declared the very words of God and displayed the very character of God, and he brought truth and peace and joy and hope to this hurting world. That's the good news that Jesus brought. And so this prayer is in part a transfer. This prayer in part is is a commissioning from Jesus to his followers. For three years of public ministry, Jesus brought people into God's family and he's saying, now I'm coming home. So you can see the transfer here. God, God the Father sent me into the world, the very bottom. Now I'm sending them into the world. As you sent me, I send my followers. For three years, I kept them from evil, top line. But now, Father, I pray that you protect them. You keep them from the evil one. For three years, I have been in the world, but not of the world. Jesus was here with a different motive, different goals, different message. It was countercultural. He was hated for it. Now they are sent into the world to display and declare the heart of God and the words of God. This is part of why we talk as a church family about saying we want to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. It's because of this kind of transfer. This is a commissioning from Jesus to his followers, an invitation. You're empowered to stay on earth, to continue by God's power, the work of Jesus. And so John 17, again, this prayer in part is Jesus commissioning his followers and and transferring all 
that his followers had seen as he displayed and declared the good news is now theirs to display and declare as well. It's a new mantle for his followers. But, again, it's not just this empty duty. They, they, they would go to the death because of this. It's something they held so deeply and so richly. It's something they first believed as good news. That's the only way that it became an overflow. If it's empty duty, no way. If it's a have-to conversation, no way. But for his disciples, it was a get-to conversation. And to that end, I want to show you three, three phrases that Jesus uses to wrap up this prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Here's three phrases that Jesus ends this part of the prayer with. First, he says, I consecrate myself. It's not a word we use very commonly. You know what the word consecrate means? He says, I'm going to offer myself. I'm going to fulfill my purpose. So, so what is it that makes this such good news to his followers that verifies and kind of seals the promise? It's all the terror and horror that they're going to watch unfold over the next 24 hours as Jesus' life comes to an end. And then the massive, undescribable, indescribable joy that happens three days after that when his life does not end but continues for eternity. He says, I'm going to offer myself to seal this thing, to show how much better news I am. I'm going to even overcome death itself. I consecrate myself. Second phrase, so that my followers can be sanctified. When you hear the word sanctified, a lot of times it's like, oh, that means holy. That's true. Sanctified also means set apart. I'm, I'm going I'm to sanctify, I'm, I'm going to offer myself to bring them into a set apart purpose. We have a different motive, a different goal, a different view of life. God has given us through the death and resurrection of his son a greater purpose, a greater God, a greater family, a greater story, greater truth and peace and joy and hope. But how does he sanctify us? How does he set us apart? How does he help us fulfill this purpose? Sanctify them in the what? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What's the word word mean? Your gospel is truth. What is it that we're sanctified in? What is it that we're set apart for and through and from? We're set apart because of the good news, and we're set apart for the good news. We're set apart because we've received and we believe the good news. If there's any other motive, any other attempt by our power, our, you know, stick to or our conjuring abilities, whatever else, like it's, it's not, it's not going to, it's not going to last. We can't convince ourselves to have the have-to conversations. It's only as we realize the beauty and truth and joy and hope of the good news, your word is truth, that fires start to light in us. And then to mix metaphors, start to overflow out of us and gush out of us, and we can't stop talking about it. It's a little bit of a quick flyover of part of John 17, but 
Does that make sense? You get the point of, of what Jesus is praying there? His death is the verification of his message. His resurrection is the seal of his promise. Jesus offers himself so that his followers will believe the words and character of God. His death and resurrection are the fulfillment of his life on earth. His death and resurrection help his followers believe that he's better news than the lies and lesser stories that they and we and the world and our hearts tempt us to believe. So to close this first part of our fall-long conversation, be honest, do you, do you believe that Jesus displayed and declared the words and works and character of God? And, do you, and again, do you really believe he offers better joy to the joyless and better truth to the seeker and better answers to the skeptics and better freedom to the religious and better rest for the weary and on and on and on? Do you, do you really actually believe that? And, and if not, if your honest answer is no, then, then what is good news to you? What is good news to you? Where, where do you find joy and truth and answers and freedom and rest for your hopes and your needs? But if you say, yes, I, I do believe that everything Jesus says is true, then where are the areas of your life that you settle for something less? That lowercase g, good news, actually wins the day over capital G, good news. And do you know anyone who needs some better joy and truth and answer and freedom and rest than, than whatever lowercase g, good news, they're, they're experiencing? And then what would it look like for you to be able to offer some answer, some truth, some freedom in simple and everyday ways to just someone in your life who's looking for good news? So those are the kind of questions that we're going to be asking this week, this month, this entire fall. And it, and it only works if we're honest with each other and, and willing to kind of engage and go, yeah, you know what, this is an area that I don't, I don't know. I don't get it sometimes. But also when we're willing to receive and go, oh, you know what, somebody else, because God wired them differently and put you in community with them, might have an answer that you don't have. And would you be willing to open your heart and mind up to, to hear what they have to say? So this week, you're also going to be invited and challenged to, to make a list of a few of your non-believing friends, family, and neighbors, as well as believing friends, family, and neighbors, which, which will form a foundation for following weeks, because this entire fall is going to be an invitation and a challenge from the Lord. And so what I'm going to ask of you, church, is that you give a few minutes each week to kind of work through these reflections and to give a little bit of time and effort to really be equipped in being a good news people. Because if, if we don't, this just stays like a little coffee conversation on a Sunday morning. And it just stays in the world of nice ideas. But back to where we started, I'm convinced that we feel like we get to talk about things we love. Isn't that true? Isn't that most of what you post about, talk about? It's things that we love. It's things that matter. It's things we feel like work. It's things that, that impact our lives. Those, those are the things we talk about, the things that we love, the things that excite us versus the, the have to talk about, the obligations, the duties, the expected things. So that's our big question this fall. How do we view Jesus? How do we view the gospel? How do we view the good news? Obligation, duty, expected, 
Or do we really believe Jesus in the gospel and the good news is the person and truth that matter to our heart and that change everything? Through Jesus, God called you to himself and offers you better joy, better truth, better answers, better freedom, better rest, on and on and on. And in his life, Jesus displayed and declared the good news to so many different people and groups in so many different ways. And that mattered both in his day and today. Then in his death, he consecrated himself to seal the promises. And he drew you into the family of God through his shed blood. And then in his resurrection and sending the spirit, he empowers you and sends us as his father sent him to display and declare the good news in multiple ways to multiple people and groups, just like he did. Is that fair? Whether you believe it or not, whether our friends, family members, neighbors believe it or not, Jesus is the best good news to disciples and to the rest of the world. And I hope that's what we see in the Gospel of John this fall. Cool? All right, it's our opening conversation for the fall. So I want to close. Uh, do you know how Jesus ended this meal? where he promised and prayed and, and gave this commissioning. He ended it by taking a cup and taking bread and saying, this is my body that's broken for you, and this is my blood that's shed for you. And so we're going to end this conversation in the same way that Jesus ended this meal. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com.